for the sins of the elect. Christ, Calvinists believe Christ died substitutionally and savingly for the sins of the elect. The Arminian believes Christ died hypothetically for all sins of all men of all times. Now Calvinism, or better titled the doctrines of grace, are found in the following historic creeds. Because some people might think, well, Calvinism is something new. This hasn't been taught ever in church history. That's false. It definitely came out of the Reformation. And the biggest thing that came out of the Reformation was its original cry that said, Scriptura, Scripture alone. Scripture alone. So if it's not based on Scripture, then it's false. But we believe that these doctrines are based on Scripture. In the creeds of the early Protestant churches, when they were sound in the faith, held held to these truths. For instance, the creeds of the major Protestant branches, the Anglican, 39 Articles of Faith in 1553, the Dutch Reformed Belgic Confession, 1561, the Christian Reformed Church, the Heidelberg Catechism, 1563, the Reformed Churches, Canons of Dort, 1618, the Presbyterian Westminster Confession, 1646, the New England Congregationalists, had the Cambridge Platform, 1648, the Congregationalist of New England as well, the Savoy Declaration, 1658, the Baptist London Confession, 1644 to 89, there were several confessions, 46, 40, 44, 46, and 89, Spurgeon adopted the 89 for his church. Later Baptists in the United States, the Philadelphia Confession of Faith, was 1801, rather. Well, here are some well-known Calvinists. I'm sure you know these names, or most of them. Luther, Zwingli, Calvin, Matthew Henry, John Bunyan, John Owen, B.B. Warfield, Charles Hodge, George Whitfield, David Brainerd, John Edwards, Jonathan Edwards, John Newton, Isaac Watts, all the Reformers and Puritans, Darby, Spurgeon, Martin Lloyd-Jones, Donald Gray Bonholz, James Boyce, R.C. Sproul, John MacArthur, Al Mola, J.I. Packer, D.A. Carson, John Piper, etc. Now to be fair, let's look at the Arminians. Arminianism in main denom- mainline denominations can be easily traced today, starting with John Wesley, who set the stage for Methodism, then Holiness Pentecostalism. And the modern decisional regenerationist proponents scattered among the independents. Besides this lineage, you can also construct a strain from some of the Anabaptists that breeded the Mennonites, the Amish, the Moravians, the Quakers, the Shakers, the Fundamentalists, the Free Will Baptists, the Nazarenes, etc. Here are some of the well-known Arminians. And we're not putting these brothers down by all means. It's just a fact. Jacob Arminius, John Wesley, Charles Finney, D.L. Moody, Billy Sunday, J.R. Rice, Bob Jones, Billy Graham, Franklin Graham, Charles Stanley, David Jeremiah, Norman Geisler, Zane Hodges, Clark Pinnock, William McDonald, and all the hosts of the prosperity teachers like Joel Osteen, Joyce Myers, Benny Hinn, T.D. Jakes, and Marcus Lamb. Let's look now at some classic hymns that we sing and should be singing or at least know. Here's a popular one called The Church's One Foundation. Is Jesus her Lord? She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her and for her life 
he died. Notice these are in red letters. With his own blood, he bought her. We were using Acts 20, 28 that says, who purchased the church with his own, the flock with his own blood. Another not so well known hymn, one of my favorites, maybe my favorite, called Hail Sovereign Love, that first began that scheme to rescue fallen man. Hail matchless free eternal grace that gave my soul a hiding place. On Jesus, God's just vengeance fell. What was the just vengeance against? Whose sins? Those sins that would have sunk this world to hell. He bore it for a chosen race and thus became their hiding place. A chosen race. First Peter 2.9 says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. You're chosen people of God. We should rejoice in that. We should be the Baptist Pentecostals of America. Praising the Lord that he saved me. I don't deserve salvation. There's nothing in me or in you that deserves God's attention. There was no merits that I or you can claim before God. Amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. And that grace goes, grace goes back to when he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Does it not make sense to you that Christ would die for the ones who was chosen by the Father? in who the Holy Spirit was designed to sanctify and regenerate. That's what Gary Long meant when he said there would be a disjunction within the Trinity, within the Trinitarian work of salvation. If Jesus died for some whom the Holy Spirit would not regenerate and who the Father did not choose. If that doesn't make sense, I don't know what, what would. Doesn't that make sense? If the Father chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, there must be a certainty that they are the ones who are going to be saved. Which makes sense that Jesus would have to be the one to have paid the penalty of their sins to make them his own chosen, precious bride of his own. Now, let's try to get into the Bible a little bit about this subject. Why do I have the high priest's golden garments pictured here? For one particular reason, in all of these items on the priest's garment, this is the high priest particularly, he was the only one that could wear this. He represented the people before God. And what's important about this is that on his breastplate, there was 12 tribes' names on them in different color of, of stones. Not only were they on his breastplate, and this picture doesn't highlight this, unfortunately. I couldn't find one that did. But on the shoulders, he had also the names of six tribes on one shoulder and six tribes of the other shoulder. The reason was because he was representing the people of God before God himself. He was their representative. He wasn't bearing the names of the Egyptians or the Babylonians or the Greeks or the Romans. He was bearing the names of his covenant people before God. Now there was probably the most special day, Feast of Israel, and that would be called Yom Kippur, 
when the sins of the people were dealt with by the high priest. The high priest, once a year, was allowed to go into what is known as the Holy of Holies. The tabernacle of the temple was comprised of three different compartments. You had the outer court where the population could go in, all could go in. Beyond that section was known as the holy place where the priests would go and they would function and do their various ministries at the various pieces of furniture. But beyond that was the holy of holies that separated everybody from that location except the high priest. And you remember, I'm sure, in the New Testament when Jesus was crucified, what was rent in twain? It was that curtain that the high priest had to pass through on the behalf of the people and then offered the offering on the mercy seat. Well, when Jesus was crucified, it says, and he rose, it says that the temple curtain was rent, ripped from the top to the bottom because there's no longer a system of sacrifice in place. Jesus, by one offering, he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. You could say that Jesus went into the Holy of Holies for us and he spilt his blood and put it on the mercy seat before God and God accepted the sacrifice of our sins by our high priest, our merciful and faithful high priest as our brother was reading about. He made propitiation for us. What does that mean? He turned away God's wrath against our sins. Because the scripture says at one time we were children of wrath even as others the wrath of God abode upon us. But Jesus took God's wrath against our sins in his own body on the tree and satisfied a holy God. God's satisfaction was demonstrated when he raised his son from the dead and he gave him the highest place in the universes to, seat, to be seated at the right hand of God, saying to his son, Sit thou here until I make thine enemies thy footstool." Sit thou here, I'm giving you a name that is above every name. That in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Mohammed, Buddha, Confucius, you name them. Every knee should bow, both in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every mouth should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the gospel. This is the heart of what the Bible teaches. This is our redemption. This is the most important thing that we need to grip and grasp as believers because it will solidify your conversion and your relationship with God. As the hymn writer says, I, ha I have no other argument. I have no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. We can't close the service without an emphasis on the necessity for personal, substitutional sacrifice of Jesus on the behalf of a sinner. And are you one for whom Jesus died? Can you say, Jesus bled and died for me? Jesus suffered on the tree? Jesus waits to make me free? He alone can save me. We don't boast in ourselves. It's Christ and Him alone. I like to say, if you were to die and you were to meet an angel at the gate of heaven that says, hey, why should I let you in? What rights do you have to be in here? What would you say? Would you be speechless? Would you have on the wedding garment? Would you be able to say, the reason why I belong here is because of the man in the middle of the throng of the angelic host and of all the redeemed. 
He's the one that loved me and gave himself for me. He bears in his body the sins that I should have been born on the cross for. He took them from me. I was the Barabbas. He took my place. I was guilty. He was innocent. He did no sin, knew no sin, and in him was no sin. And yet he, the scripture says, one of the most powerful verses, you've got to memorize it, 2 Corinthians 5.21. God, he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You have righteousness of God imputed to you. You have none of your own. You can't claim it. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. It's all grace. It's all of Him. We have nothing to boast in. Paul says, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you are asked, why are you saved? Because of the cross. That's where my salvation comes from. Now, this high priest on the day of Yom Kippur, getting back to that, There were two goats. One of the goats, he would take his hands and on the head of the goat, he would confess the sins of who? Israel, of God's covenant people then. Their sins were placed on that goat and that goat was sent into a land uninhabited, into the wilderness. The other goat was taken and its blood was shed and sprinkled On the mercy seat, when the high priest went in, he would sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. What does that tell us? That Jesus died for our... He, he, um, that's in uh, Romans chapter 4.25. He was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. You can't have one without the other. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we'd have no hope. We'd have no assurance of where we're going to go when we die. We'd have no assurance that our sins are gone. That rising of Jesus from the dead is that goat that's put into the land uninhabited, gone, far away, as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered again. The other one is Jesus on the cross when he bore our sins. That was the altar. That was the mercy seat. That's where the blood was shed. The high priest, though, in this instance, Jesus shed his own blood. He was the victim and he was the offerer. He offered himself as a sacrifice to God. The high priest never offered himself. He always brought in something other than himself, a goat, an animal. But with Jesus, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Wow. If this doesn't get to the root of your soul, if you're a believer, you've got to be saying amen. I want to jump up and down over this doctrine. I want to praise the Lord that he died for sinners like you and I. But let's get to this question now. The limit of the atonement, that sounds very degrading to Jesus. First of all, there was no limitation on what the blood of Christ could cleanse. The question that has to be asked is, what was the blood of Christ designed to accomplish what was the purpose of the death of Christ if he died as we had if we can get that screen up in the beginning Michael I think it's the uh, first screen Um, can you guys uh, the next one I think it's the next one no one more there we go for whom did Christ die 
Christ died for all sins of all men. That's what most Christians would say. And they would use John 3.16. And I'm all for using John 3.16. And we always want to put the emphasis, no matter what, on whoever believes. That whosoever believes in Him. But now we could ask the question, well, who is going to believe on Him? Why did you believe on Him? Because you were smarter than someone else? Because you took a a course on doctrine of salvation and you graduated and came to that conclusion? Like the hymn writer said, and I love the quote and I always do, Why was I made to hear thy voice and enter while there's room when thousands make a wretched choice and would rather starve than come? It was the same love that spread the feast that sweetly drew me in, else I had still refused to taste and perished in my sin. What's the key there? He sweetly drew me in. Jesus says, No man come to the Father, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draws him. If you're saved, you've been drawn. And guess what? Your will has been activated to choose Christ, to believe on him. You can't get to heaven apart from believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. We read in Acts 13, 48, who are the ones that believe? It says, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. If you believed, it's because you were appointed to be a a believer. Praise God. Otherwise, you would remain dead in trespasses and sins. There would be no interest in spiritual things. You would be like Harrison was before his conversion, a Satan worshiper, witchcraft, and all those other vices and sins that the sinful mind of man would want to pursue. But God had other designs in the intent of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. If he died for all sins of all men, then why aren't all people saved? Are you saying that if you believe that, he died for all sins of all men, you're saying, well, Jesus died hypothetically for all sins of all men because it's up to the person or person to believe. Then they will, one brother calls it tap water theology. In other words, if you believe, the the blood will flow and you'll get salvation. If you don't, you're keeping the faucet off and you're getting no flow of redemption from the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is it up to you? No, it's up to the Spirit of God that regenerated you, that gave you the desire. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. The wind blows where it listeth, you hear it's the sound. But you can't tell where it's coming or where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Born of the Spirit. If Jesus did die substitutionally for all sins of all men, they don't even have to believe to go to heaven. They don't have to believe to be saved. Because if Jesus died, actually did die for their sins, then they can't go to hell and suffer for their own. If you do so, believe that, then you have two penalties for sin. One that Jesus died for, which would mean that that death and dying and shedding of blood for remission of sin was in vain. He died unnecessarily for those that wouldn't believe. And you would end up having a universal salvation. Everybody would be saved. And there's really no sound Christian who holds to that belief that Jesus died for all people's sins that are going to all be saved. There are heretical doctrines that have been circulated through church history that have advanced that idea 
that everybody's going to be saved. Even the devil, Origen, for instance, back in 200 uh, A.D., believed, too, that Jesus died for the devil and he would be reconciled. Using passages like that, he reckons all reconciled all things both in heaven and on earth, trying to embrace everybody and anybody. Can you imagine an atheist being in heaven? Can you imagine a false cult or a, or a, or a heretical heresy teacher or preacher or those that uh, denounce Christ, Satan worshipers, etc.? Would it be appropriate for them to be in heaven? What kind of place would it be for them? How comfortable, uncomfortable would they be? Because you know what's going to be ringing throughout the ages in the days to come will be the theme unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us a kingdom of priests to our God and to his Father. That's what the redeemed will be saying. Did he die for all sins of all men? I hope you see the folly of that belief. Now you might say, well, don't we preach to everybody? And you're going to have to hold off on that. I, I, want, I want to preach the gospel to you. I, I want you to know that a Calvinist does and can preach the gospel. And all those names that I had up there, the Luthers and the Whitfields and the Brainerds and all, they were wonderful gospel preachers. They hesitated not to proclaim the word. Is this coming out now? Okay. I don't know what's going on. Um, too bad this is going to ruin the tape, I think. Huh? Did I do something? No, there it goes. Thank you. Okay. So it's, it's a negative to believe that Christ died for all sins of all men. There's, a, there's definite flaws in that idea. Did Christ die for sins of no one in particular? Was it just a general, like anybody? He didn't have any, anyone specifically on his mind. See, that's where the, the high priest having the names of the 12 tribes on his shoulders and on his chest is symbolical of what Jesus' intent was when he went to the cross. He was going to the cross for you and me, individual people. Ephesians 5.25 says, Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. For God so loved the world... Let's replace that with God so loved the church that he gave himself for her. Because that's the whosoever's that will believe will everlasting life receive. You see that? I hope you do. I think it makes sense. Again, the word limited probably would be better, a better word used would be definite atonement. Not limited, but definite or particular atonement. There was nothing limiting in Jesus' precious blood. There was nothing inefficient in Jesus' precious blood, but it was designed to accomplish that which God had sent him to accomplish. And we can be sure that mission was accomplished when he said, it is finished, and the Father raised him from the dead. Because Jesus says, about those whom you have given me, he says in John seventeen nine, I pray not for them, that is the world, but for them which thou hast given me. I don't pray for the world, he says, but for them who you have given me. For they are thine, and all thine are mine. Jesus said that. How could Jesus have loved every individual in the world redemptively and then say, 
I don't pray for the world, but I pray for them, you, the disciples. I mean, this is what the Scripture, I think, is teaching us. What about some passages that could be problematic? Let's deal with them in a couple quick minutes here. We were reading in Hebrews 2.9. It says, He tasted death for every man. Well, wait a minute. How could it have been limited then to certain ones if Jesus' death, it says there in Hebrews 2.9, He tasted death for every man. But again, we've got to look at the context of that. And let me just point a couple things out real quickly. It says... Um, For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things to bring many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation. Verse 11. He that sanctifies and they who are sanctified are all one for which he is not ashamed to call them brethren. This is obviously a a subset of humanity. I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church will I sing praises unto thee. I will put my trust in him. Again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. Those are the ones for whom Jesus tasted death for. The children, the ones that he's going to bring to glory. That's the all that have had his death tasted for. And then 1 John 2, 2. He was a propitiation. This verse 1 says, If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. My little children, sin not. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who was a propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but also for the world. What about that verse? Doesn't that teach universal redemption or universal opportunity if Jesus made a propitiation for the whole world? But who is the world? John is writing to an audience of people saying, He didn't just die for you. He died for others. He died for the world. That's one way of putting it. I prefer to think that John is writing to a Jewish audience and he's saying, he didn't just die for us, the Jews. He died for the world, the people of the world, the Gentiles. Like Jesus says, other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. That's the world that Jesus made propitiation for. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, the great shepherd, and I give my life for who? The sheep. John 10, verse 11. In 10, 26, he says, you believe not because you are not of my sheep. So we have those who are sheep and those who are not sheep, according to Jesus. So wouldn't it make sense then that Jesus, the great shepherd, would die for the sheep, for the flock? And to the Jews who believed... Caiaphas is saying he's not going to just die for us Jews, but also for all the children of God that were scattered abroad. That's Gentiles outside of the fence of Israel. And when Jesus prays in John 17, he says, I pray not for these only, but for them also which shall believe on me, not shall maybe maybe believe on me, but shall believe on me through their word the word of the apostolic doctrine of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They shall believe. There's no, no doubt about it that God preserved you. That's why in Hebrews 1.14 it says that... Um, Hebrews 1.14. Oh, I wish my memory was like it used to be. It says this. It says, um, Are they not all ministering spirits, talking about angels... 
sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation. You are one who was an, going to inherit salvation. Like the hymn writer said, Preserved by Jesus when my feet made haste to hell. And there should I have gone, but thou dost all things well. Thy love was great, thy mercy free, which from the pit delivered me. Preserved by Jesus when. How many times did you come close to dying? How many times did you overdose possibly? How many times were you in critical care and barely made it? How many times were you so intoxicated that you almost died on your own vomit? Preserved by Jesus when. Your feet made haste to hell, and there should you have gone. But he did all things well. We praise the Lord for the great gospel of his grace. And the last, last verse to consider, it says about the false teachers that they deny the Lord that bought them. Deny the Lord that bought them. Well, if they're false teachers, they obviously are hell-bound. They don't sound certainly like they're redeemed people, obviously. And they... Uh, likely not in the Lamb's book of life, you would assume that, would you not? If Peter, under inspiration, is calling as the Old Testament Israelites had false prophets among them, so you too have false teachers among you who deny the Lord that bought them. What I think that means, and this is debatable, that what it means is that they their, their teaching is they're denying the Lord that bought who? The sheep that bought those for whom the gospel was intended to reach and to save. Why do I say that? Because 1 Peter 1, 2 says that we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. We are the elect who have the Spirit of God that regenerated us, sanctified us in such a way that you were unable to resist the grace of God that was being disclosed to you and you came under the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So those that are denying the Lord that bought them, they are not the ones that are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father who have been sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the falsity of their teaching in summary saying they're teaching that the Lord did not buy you. You are not blood-bought people. That's, my, that's what I think is, is a preferred understanding of it. Others have taken that word bought to mean that there's distinctions in the way one can be bought and one can be purchased and there's one that's more that has to do with a redemptive type of a buying rather than some, simply taken in a generic way of being purchased. Anyway, in closing, a few verses just to highlight these, this truth. The limit of the, of the atoning work of Christ, the design of the of the work of Christ, the particularity of who, for whom Christ did die. Matthew one twenty one. She shall bring forth a son, referring to Mary. You will call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. I quoted Ephesians 5.24. Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. I quoted John 10.11. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, not for goats, but for sheep. In Isaiah 53, 12 and 13, He shall bear their iniquities. And it goes on to say, And he bore the sin of many. And I would like to conclude by appealing to you as an individual.
Did Jesus die for you? I mean, that's, that's the biggest question here. You know, we're, we're talking about high theology here, but let's bring it right down to home. Did Jesus die for you? When you walk up, as it were, to the cross and you behold the Lamb, can you say, Jesus bled and died for me? Paul said, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. That doesn't make it a man-centered gospel, but it's a Christ-centered gospel that has man's redemption in mind. And you are one of those ones for whom Christ died. But you can only answer that question. I can't. I can't tell you emphatically and dogmatically, Jesus died for your sins. I can't say that until you believe the gospel. Then it can be proven that you're an elect of God. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God, how? Because of the way conduct follows conversion. What does a life become like? Our brother gave a testimony. Anyone else that can and does give testimony, you're telling everybody, once I was foolish and sin reigned my heart, causing my footsteps from God to depart. Boasting excluded, pride I abase, I'm only a sinner saved by grace. This is my story, to God be the glory, I'm only a sinner saved by grace. Hallelujah. Let's close by singing. Come on up here, Denise, again. Let's sing. I have decided to follow Jesus. Whoa, wait a minute. What kind of a song is that? To close a doc. Let's get those lyrics up here. Let's get those lyrics up here. Don't stand up yet. We all know this. I have decided to follow. No turning back. Next stanza. Why did you decide? It was the Spirit. It was the Spirit that gave... That's how we're going to sing that. It was the Spirit that gave you faith. Okay? Go down another one. Though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back. Wonderful. Next one. The world behind me. Wonderful. Go to the next and the last one. The Father chose me in sovereign grace. The Father chose me in sovereign grace. The Father chose me in sovereign grace. No turning back. No turning back. Let's rise together and sing, I have decided. It is a decision. But we give God the glory.